Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today I'm reading from Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That quote is attributed to Mahatma Gandhi, but there is zero proof he actually said it. Gandhi studied the revolutionary work of Jesus, particularly his nonviolent civil disobedience against the Roman Empire. And as a Hindu, Gandhi still used that aspect of Jesus' world-changing approach and philosophy as part of his model to stand against the British rule and occupation of India. And while Gandhi certainly had some unhelpful run-ins with ungracious Christian missionaries and the division they had been known to cause in India at the time, nobody can really find a direct evidence that would tie this quote to him. But that doesn't really dismiss the sentiment. Proper attribution or not, a lot of skeptics would get what this quote is trying to say. Why aren't the people who call themselves Christian more like Jesus Christ? I like Jesus, but I don't think much of the people who seem to identify with him. Now, often lumped into this group of skeptics, you've got some folks who are truly committed to Jesus. Some who have studied scripture, some who have had dramatic conversion experiences. They serve and they make moral choices. These are people who are skeptical of institutional religion, sometimes for very good reason, but not so much about Jesus. These folks are essentially the paradox of the churchless Christian. They are a different category, and though I might disagree with them about how they live out their trust in Jesus apart from a community of believers, that's not who we're addressing here. We're talking about people who question God, who question Jesus because of the attributes and behaviors of church folks, who find the church to be a poor representation of the heavenly citizens they believe Jesus describes in his teachings. Do these skeptics have a point? And if so, what do we do about it? We're going to take a look at what the Apostle Paul told to the Philippian church to see what this challenge to faith might mean for believers today. And that will lead us to our first lesson. Our willing obedience becomes proof of the goodness of God. Our willing obedience becomes proof of the goodness of God. 
Paul writes, Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. We all need people in our lives who call out more from us than we think we are able to offer. We've seen this in a movie trope, and even though we know it's coming, and we know what's probably going to happen, we still find that some of these images set to film inspire us. There's this movie that came out several years ago called Facing the Giants, and even though the ending all felt a little extra happily ever after, this scene is still one of my favorite scenes of encouragement and perseverance that I've seen in a film. Let's take a look at it. It's super predictable, but hearing the words, your very best, keep going, I know he's heavy, but you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me. I don't know about you, but I almost need to give myself that pep talk every day just to get out of bed. Maybe you've had employees or co employers or coaches or therapists who drew that goodness out of you. They worked you and drilled you and challenged you until you were willing and working and living beyond your self-imposed limitations and you discovered you were able to do far more than you imagined for yourself. If you haven't had a coach or employer or aspirational friend like that, I hope you someday have one. I've had that in a couple of coaches and a couple of employers and when I was wiped out and felt like I was down to nothing, they called more out of me. It wasn't for their own glory, but for the good of the team, the cause, and to break down my own self-imposed limitations, and I am constantly grateful for those people. But if we take our relationship with God seriously, the words of Scripture are doing that very thing in our lives every time we meet them. If God is working in our lives, his instructions aren't a burden that we try to dodge, it's us being called out to grow deeper in his grace, to live beyond our own capacity, and to prove the worth, not of ourselves, but of our Lord. When we step into obedience, especially when we do it with joy, we're proving that God is able and that his word is good. I've had people that I want to please and not disappoint, but more than I've ever wanted to please any human, I want to bring joy to the heart of God that saved me from meaninglessness and condemnation. I want to please my God to prove his goodness and put it on display. If you are a believer, don't you want that too? If you're a skeptic, wouldn't it make sense that this is something that people of faith would want to do, would want to be? There is another side to this, though, and that gets to our second lesson. Our willful rebellion is a testimony against the light of God. Our willful rebellion is a testimony against the light of God. Paul continues to the Philippian church, In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing, so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. I'll sometimes hear some Christian version of tattletaling, although there is no such thing as a Christian version of tattletaling. It's a little bit like a celebrity tabloid or a social media subtweet, but since I don't have Facebook, basically people will try to gossip directly to me in person. Well, you know, I saw this person at a place where they weren't supposed to be. That person was doing this thing that they were not supposed to be doing. 
That other person was gossiping about stuff that they don't even know about. And this is about other people in the church. We'll complain, argue, exclude, and everything but share our concern with a person face-to-face in love. And when we err in this way, we give all sorts of reasons for people to look at us and say, if that's what Christians do to one another, count me out. And if this is what following Jesus turns folks into, you can keep them. Part of our problem is we stay very busy with the splinters in the eyes of other people instead of worrying about the logs in our own eyes. And Jesus said something about that. I think it was, don't. It doesn't mean we never encourage one another to live out the highest of our Christian aspirations, but I'm pretty sure we all know the difference if a correction is being shared in love or if it's being shared in spite. Do we live clean and innocent lives as children of God? I'll put it another way. Are we acting like porch lights or bug zappers? I'll explain. Porch light folks illuminate a path. They welcome people in. They help folks find their way home. They're warm, inviting, and they still lead people by the light. It can even be a powerful light because, after all, if we're using this as a metaphor, it's supposed to be the light of God that we're reflecting. But I grew up around literal bug zappers. We had one out back at the house I grew up in. Do you remember bug zappers? A new generation might only know them from Ant-Man because the character Yellow's Jacket got zapped in one. Bug zappers use light as a draw for insects, only to fry these critters to death when they get close enough. So bug zapper church folks welcome people too, with just a bit of light, just to shock people to death with harsh judgment once someone gets close. They glow a little bit, but it's mostly just to put the hurt down on folks who are unfortunate enough to get near them. Bug zapper church folks like to tell people about how worthy they are. The implication is that others may not be. They like to brag on what they've done, their accomplishments. They usually forget one small detail. That's all filthy rags without the grace of Jesus Christ given to them as a free gift, just like that gift is extended to the rest of us. We don't generate our own light. So as people who want to represent Jesus, we need to proclaim the true gospel of Christ's worthiness and not our own. To a different church, the Apostle Paul, this follower of Jesus, wrote to the Corinthians, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this shining light in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Church, it's okay to be fragile clay as long as we don't act like we're stainless steel. Let Jesus be the perfect one. We just get to point people to him so that he can keep on rebuilding and strengthening other fragile clay pots just like us. Talking about how good and proper church folk are supposed to be is not a message of hope. Boasting about how awesome we are becomes a house of cards when Christ followers inevitably stumble. But preaching about a Savior who did live out a perfect love, who has earned 
for us forgiveness and who instructs our hearts to forgive, whose kindness has the power to transform our lives, maybe especially through our failures, so we can grow in love and grace, that message holds up even when we break down. And this is not a cheap grace. Cheap grace is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer refers to as a grace that costs nothing for anyone. Here's how he describes the difference between a cheap grace and a costly grace. Cheap grace, he says, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price, to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves the nets and follows him. Do we reflect that costly grace with the ways that we offer ourselves to the transforming power of Jesus Christ? We all make mistakes. We all fall short. That's exactly why there is grace. But grace doesn't just let us off the hook. It extinguishes the fires of our broken desires so that Jesus can be the absolute pinnacle of what we seek. Do people see the ways, big and small, that we declare the worth of Jesus with our lives? Or do they see that despite our shiny church facades, we don't really trust Jesus to transform lives, least of all our own? You may have heard it said that a person who claims to follow Jesus may be the only Bible that many people will read in a day. Do our lives tell the story of God's rescuing grace? Our third lesson this morning, when under the microscope, Christians should reflect the light. When under the microscope, Christians should reflect the light. Hold tightly to the word of life, Paul writes. So that when Christ returns, I will be proud that I did not lose the race and that my work was not useless. But even if my life is to be poured out like a drink offering to complete the sacrifice of your faithful service, that is, if I am to die for you, I will rejoice and I want to share my joy with all of you. And you should be happy about this and rejoice with me. Have you ever wondered why it seems like generation after generation has taken steps away from the church? Could it be because people see exclusion without welcome? Or maybe they see hypocrisy instead of holiness. They see judgment without hope of restoration. They see practices without passion. They see self-serving without charity. And ultimately, when the church is placed under the microscope, people are simply not seeing Jesus. There are a lot of things that are important to helping a church be healthy and vital. High-quality programs are important, but they're not the most important. High-quality music and production is important, but not the most important. The care and upkeep of our facility is important, but again, not the most important. Though I'd argue those things still have value, I know that people can experience world-class programs and entertainment and facilities in countless different areas of their lives. But what it ultimately comes down to is this. When people come to the church, do they get Jesus? And I'll put a finer point on it. 
Because the church is not some nebulous and nondescript entity. The church is us. When people encounter us, when they encounter you, do they experience the light of Jesus and discover for themselves God's costly grace? We may be miles from perfect. That's why we can't make ourselves the message. But it doesn't mean we don't have a perfect message to share. The God who created us knows us and loves us and set us free from our brokenness and sin to set us free from death. Our God sent Jesus into the world to show what it looked like when love joins with humanity lived out to the fullness and God lived out in the fullness of God's own heart come together. And by Jesus' sacrifice, we've been given hope, forgiveness, freedom, and a brand new beginning that allows us to know what it is to live a life that is full and abundant and eternal. We didn't earn it. It's not because we deserve it. It's because our God wants us to experience true love and to share love in its truest form. That's the light that we get to reflect. And if we've experienced it, we get to make sure to let it shine on others as well. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, you are the message. You are the good news that we get to share. It's not that we're so good. We're not. It's not that we've cleaned up so nicely that anyone can do the same. God, that's That's not the message. Lord, the gift that you've given us to know freedom from brokenness of sin, to know what it is to not live in shame or fear, to know that we are loved without condition as we are, and that that love can grow us into all that we can become. Lord, to know that this is a gift that we don't have to strive for it or work so hard to earn it, but that you have offered it to us freely. This is our good news. Help us to proclaim that message of grace, to not act like we have it all together, that we serve a loving God who calls us together so that we might reflect that kindness, that restoration, that grace. This grace has come to us, having cost you so much. And because of the sacrifice that Jesus has offered, Lord, there is this this calling that draws us to offer ourselves in gratitude. And Lord, as that message offers us simultaneously humility and dignity, allow us to reflect that to a world who needs to see and know that there is a God who loves, a God who knows and cares, a God who can draw us out of whatever pit of sorrow and desperation and bring us into wonderful light. We thank you. We praise you. We love you for all that you are and all you've done. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.